Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. She was tear gassed and beaten. Images of thousands desperate to escape Taliban oppression filled our news feeds. More than 80,000 Afghans made it to America. But the story didn't end there. It was very cold. There was no power, no heat. Who would help our newest neighbors? I'm Andrea Smartin. In Stranger Becomes Neighbor, you'll hear the stories of some remarkable refugees who left their homes and their dreams behind only to start over from zero. Their only possession was three blankets. And you'll meet Americans who stepped up to help them. You want me to come when you deliver your baby. What can one person do in the face of an international disaster decades in the making? That's Stranger Becomes Neighbor. Find us at kslpodcast.com, follow us on Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen. Thank you for spending your Saturday morning with the KSL Greenhouse. Maria Shaleos, Tom Bettis, Sheridan Hansen with you this morning. Taking your calls at 801-575-8255. You can text us your questions at 57500. We've had Paul and American Fork waiting for quite some time. Paul, good morning. What is your question? Hi. Um, what's the best way to fertilize bird of paradise plants? So is it in a container? Yes. Okay, and how have you fertilized it before? I, I've, I, what is it called? I put some, like a, about a cup of coffee grounds in a, in a jug and then filled it with water and did it with that. Okay. Um, you can use a water-soluble fertilizer, um, and you can you can actually fertilize it about once a week that way, um, and that will give oh, really? it some added nutrients. So, yeah, you're going to want to go to the nursery and just look for a, a, a you know, broad, or it has it has all three, so it's a complete fertilizer. So it's got nitrogen, phosphorus, and potassium. It's in like it. a sixteen, sixteen, yeah, something like that. Um, you know, when they're when they are um, water soluble, they'll have a lot lower number on it because you're going to be watering it more frequently. And when we water okay. more frequently, we we wash the nutrients out of the soil. So you want to make sure that you use a low dose and water more or and fertilize more often when you water. Yeah. How often should you be watering? Um, so it depends on, there's a number of factors. It depends on the temperature, the size of the plant. Um, so you just put your finger down in the top of the soil, and when those top inch to two inches gets uh, dry, that's when you're going to want to water. So it's probably okay. about every the, 7 to 10 to 14 days, okay. depending on your yeah. environment. That's what my dad's been doing with his. And, um, is there any way to get them to flower better? Yeah, so um, where is it situated as far as light? How much light does it get? Just, um, it's have it inside on the it has south facing has a window by it okay so you may need to add a grow light if it's not flowering you may have to add um, a broad spectrum light to it to get it to flower good news is you can find um, light bulbs that just screw right into your normal um, type of lamps and that will add some broad spectrum light to the plant and get it to flower Okay, cool. And have one other question. Have like sawdust, like my saws and stuff that when I'm cutting wood in my garage, is that good to add into like a, what do you call it, a compost pile? Yeah, you can add it into a compost pile. It will take a little bit longer to decompose um, depending on the wood chip size, but if you give it ample time. Oh, no, sawdust. Yeah, but depending on the size of the sawdust. So, um, so it's yeah, very it just, fine. Yeah, it depends on what kind of sawdust you're using. So it can take a little bit more time to break down because it has a high content of cellulose in it. Um, but if you have okay. a really good compost pile going, it can break down fairly quickly. 
Okay, cool. Okay. All right, Paul. All right. Thanks, Thanks for your so call much. this morning. Tan Maxine would like to know, she says she thinks that her apricot tree has bores. Uh, she can see holes with sap coming out in the trunk and one branch and on, and on one branch. Uh, she's, she says, has she lost her apricot tree? Not necessarily. And where she's seeing sap come out could be bores, but it could be something else. Um, Cytospora and Pseudomonas canker, which look very similar and cause very similar damage, causes sap flow on the trunk and branches. And so what she's going to need to do is to go to one of those cankers and use a very sharp knife or a razor knife and cut into the canker and see if there are galleries or tunnels underneath. Because if not, she's actually probably seeing Cytospora or Pseudomonas. And if they're small enough, you can cut those out but it's something that happens to trees like Southwest winter injury, which we talk about quite a bit, you know, wrapping those trees up in the winter is very important because where the tree is injured is likely to be spots where these infections would enter. Now there could be greater peach tree borer in there. And also another one to check for is flat headed borer. Because greater peach tree borer is most likely to be at the base of the tree and she might have to move the soil around and look for gumming at the base of the tree. The flat-headed borers would be more likely to be up in the tree a little bit along with the Cytospora and Pseudomonas. And mm-hmm. so these can all be looked up online. USU has free fact sheets you can download and you can use Google or your search engine of choice to find them for more information. Should she be treating now if it is one of those things or wait till spring? No, there's not much you can do right now. If the spring is going to be when you start treating, you know, the cankers could be cut out if it is canker, but if it is either flat-headed borer or greater peach tree borer, those would need to be treated after the tree blossoms in the spring. And so for greater peach tree borer, you spray monthly with either permethrin or if you can still find it, seven, and really drench the trunk, lower limbs, and the base. If it's flat-headed borer, she may need to use a systemic, like a metacloprid, after the tree's done blooming to protect the pollinators to get it out of there. Okay. Sheridan, I'm going to let you take this next one. This person wants to know, when's a good time to cut back Russian sage? Uh, You can cut it back as long as it's dormant, so now, um, all the way through the spring. Um, And you're going to want to leave Russian sage a little bit longer when you cut it back. So give it a good 8, 10 inches so that it can produce some new growth on those stems. Okay, I'm um, looking back at our questions here. Um, let's go back for a second and talk about uh, more about herbs and preparing. Once folks have decided which herbs to plant in their garden, Sheridan, you mentioned that, hey, they may not like the five that you selected. They might want to plant something else. Where do they go to find the seeds? I mean, is there a place that you specifically go to order plants or seeds? And are there some that are better started by seeds rather than buying a plant? Right. So I would start with my local nursery because they're going to have um, seeds and plants that are better adapted to our climate. Sometimes when we go online, we fall in love with some of these things that don't grow well here. Right. Um, So start at your local nursery. um, Go and talk to one of the people that work there and have them help you and walk you through. Some of them are definitely started better as seeds. Um, You know, like we talked about cilantro, you can 
you can definitely succession plant that. So you're going to need a seed stock for that one so that every couple of weeks you can get that back down. But you can also start any herb typically with um, a transplant. And that kind of gives you a jump on the season anyway. Um, and then you don't have to do the work of starting from seeds. So if you don't want to do that, you know, pick up transplants and, and those things are mostly available at your local nurseries. Now, if you're looking to grow something funky like some of the stuff that I mentioned, um, you're going to have to go to some of those online sources. Um, Johnny's Seeds is one that I use quite frequently. Um, Baker's Creek Seed, um, Pine Tree Seeds. There's a number of them that that will sell herbs. And I kind of peruse through several mm-hmm. different sites and pick and choose what I like from here and there. But read the comments, read the reviews. A lot of the times you can find a review that is from somebody close to where we are located. So Nevada or Wyoming or Idaho, and they'll give a really good review. And that kind of clues me into how well it's going to do and adapt into our climate. Ton, most of us like to wait till spring, later spring, to start thinking about things to plant or to go into the garden center. When are some of these things, though, available, like herbs or plants? When are they When are they usually available in a garden center? Year-round, a lot of garden centers, the larger ones, will carry two-inch starts of a lot of different herbs. And they are oftentimes actually just it started locally, too. There was a family that when I worked up the nursery in Layton that had a van that would bring them in almost weekly. But you can find almost anything year-round. You know, you may not find all the varieties, but if you want cilantro or, you know, sage or whatever it is, there's usually a start of it available. But for the spring, you know, I unless you were putting up low tunnels and things and we're delving into some of Sheridan's areas, I don't like putting out a lot of these until danger of frost is passed. So that would be mid-May and you still may need to provide some protection if we get cold, but the general time to get these starts out and you're oftentimes your best selection will be from mid-April through May. Did you want to add something? Sharon? No, I just 100% agree with Ton. Watch those temperatures. Um, you know, right now we're planning and we'll plant in the spring. All right. We're going to take a break, come back with our final segment of the Greenhouse Show. Number for you to call 801-575-8255. You can text us at 57500. This morning we are joined by Tim and Amanda who are out in NPS. Oh, and I'll tell you, it's so easy to get distracted here. <laughs> yes, it is. With uh, so many great things to look at. Igor is back with us. And uh, Igor, you brought a book. You you said every book in the store is just $2? $2. What a perfect gift. Peep, my family could come here and get me taken care of for $10. <laughs> yes. Because I love to read. Now, you have a special just for our KSL listeners. Please tell that. If you mention to your checker, to your cashier, that Christmas, you want 25% off on Christmas, they will give it to you. And that's all decor? That's trees? All the trees and all Christmas decorations. That's in addition to the savings that are already on. They are super, super amazing prices. You can get a Christmas tree for less than $100. Beautiful. Oh, my goodness. What about jewelry? And fashion jewelry, half off. Half off of the prices that are already discounted down. Yes. That is such. Uh, that's why it's so fun to shop here, isn't it? Paula took me in the back where they have your, where you have your designer purses, and you know a purse that I had been admiring online for four hundred fifty dollars was one ninety nine. Oh that my goodness. just kills me. Yeah, I'm so glad. Uh, I'm going to dive into this pomegranate at some point, <laughs> but it's uh, it's just eighty nine cents and way too big to put in my pocket. There are four locations of NPS. You will find them all along the Wasatch Front. We're at the Salt Lake store. Come see us. It's the story of an American held in a dark Venezuelan prison. Then all of a sudden, they all kind of lined up. They pointed their guns at me. And this is the point where I thought, I'm going to die today. I'm Becky Bruce. 
I spent a year working on Hope in Darkness, which now has more than 2 million downloads. Find it on kslpodcast.com or wherever you listen to podcasts. Thanks for spending your Saturday morning with the KSL Greenhouse. Maria Ton and Sheridan with you for these last few minutes. You can still sneak in your question. Uh, Ton, I wanted to ask Sheridan, uh, it's one thing to plan the herb garden, but it's another thing altogether to know when the herbs are actually ready to pick. So, Sheridan, what's your best? I was telling you, I have oregano, but I don't really know when the best time is to cut it. Right. And kind of the rule of thumb is you want to harvest before they go to flower. So we want to delay flowering as much as we can. So sometimes you'll see the basil start to flower or the oregano, and you can go in, you can pinch those blooms off and give yourself a little bit more time um, because then they have to reform. But once they start to form those flowers, um, specifically with oregano, basil, those types of plants, we lose some of the flavors in the leaves. So, um, you know, as soon as you start to see that beginning to happen, go out, cut. If you're going to dry them, dry them or hang them, however you're going to do it, um, and get those saved for the winter because now is when you can be using all of that out of your garden. Well, and I have some that I have saved that I haven't used even. Right. Uh, But it's it's fun. You know, at the end of one season, Ton, I actually went out and snipped things and I had so much oregano that I just took a bunch to each of my neighbors and said, here, enjoy these because you just don't want to throw it out. Right. And it has such an incredible flavor compared to what you buy in the store. It's so much more aromatic and pungent. Um, My grandpa used to do this where he would dry all of his herbs and he'd pass them out to all of us, you know, his kids and his grandkids. And so we'd have grandpa's oregano through the through the winter, which was a great thing to throw into your chicken soup or whatever you needed. Yeah. Speaking of healing and sore throats and chicken soup and all of that. Also, my mom used to grind that oregano so fine. I don't know what she used. Mm -hmm. I wish I had watched to uh, figure out what her technique was. Yeah, a lot of people will use one of those small um, coffee grinders or spice grinders, and they have one dedicated just for spices. So, yeah, you don't want to cross-contaminate that with your coffee. That would not be good. That would not be good. (laughs) Absolutely not. So, Tom, any other thoughts about planning or planting an herb garden? Well, stay away from sage because it's yucky. Um, okay. Ton has a preference about sage. No, I'm just kidding. I, <laughs> I am just kidding. I sage is a good herb. I just being s- if snarky. you are making chicken, some sort of poultry. Yes. A lot of people love sage, Ton. Yeah, sage is one I've actually grown that is easier. Um, there are several ornamental types of sage out there that I really like. There's a variegated sage that it only lasts for two or three years, but it's beautiful. So there's another one that you can use. It's fairly water-wise, but it also can be used for cooking. Um, the oreganos I've grown, there's several out there that I like, but I like Sheridan's idea of growing many things so that you have a good supply of everything. And and, and she is, it's absolutely true. When you harvest this stuff and then dry it down yourself or use it fresh, it is just so much more flavorful and aromatic than anything that you can even buy in upper end stores. Well, and I would like to add, so Ton mentions, you know, sage, and maybe that's not your favorite herb, but you have it in your garden. You can allow that to go to flower. It's an incredible pollinator plant. So you can serve a double purpose there. And most of the of the herbs that we grow that are perennials lend themselves really well to pollinators. That's something, Ton, that we need to think about for a future show, uh, talking about uh, good pollinators. Yes, and Sharon mentioned a lot of these, the mint family, the carrot family are two of the best families 
for pollinators, not just honeybees, but all of them, you know, a good majority. And so because a lot of our herbs come from these two families, having them and allowing a few of them to go to seed and produce those flowers actually reduces pesticide use in your yard because you're attracting so many beneficials in. All right, we have one more question before we get to the top of the hour that we need to answer. This person's wondering if watercress could be grown in one of those home hydroponic systems. Oh, absolutely. You could grow watercress very easily. So it just needs that high water content, which if you're in a hydroponic system, you can do that so easily. So I just start from seed and get those going and put those into your hydroponic system. You know, there's a lot of caveats to that kind of system. So managing the nutrients and the water and the salt. And once you've got that down, and we have some great resources with local businesses in Salt Lake City that sell hydroponics. But once you get that system down, you can grow things like that very easily. Okay, I want to know what the two of you, we have just a couple minutes left in the show. I want to know what the two of you are planning for your personal gardens. I mean, you guys do so much gardening for everyone else. So I'm wondering, Sheridan, first of all, what are some of the things that you personally are excited to plant this year? Oh, I have been dreaming so many different things to put into my garden. Last year, um, we tore out a third of my front yard and put in raised beds for the garden. So I have a front yard garden. I feel like a rebel. Mm -hmm. And um, I've got a bed that I'm dedicating just to herbs. And so just you know, the things that I'm going to use, like that list that I gave you, there will definitely be those standards. I also have um, perennials like sage tucked into my regular perennial border borders that I can cut from and pull from as well. So, um, but every now and then I have a few extra plants from the botanical center and those might make it into my garden Ooh, every now might. and then. Okay. All right, Ton, how about you? I am right now, I'm not as adventurous as Sheridan, but I'm focusing on super dwarf cherry tomatoes that only get about a foot to 18 inches tall. So I'm ordering five or six kinds. I'm going to seed them out. And I think it'd be fun to do almost like a little mini hedge of them along a front walkway or something. Oh, that's a great idea. We grew one of those at the Botanical Center last year, and it was so fun and so prolific. So many tomatoes on such a small plant. I love them. I know people are going, okay, but what variety? How do I know which plant you're talking about? What are your what are your favorites? Tom? Give me a few weeks and I will come up okay. with a complete list, but I have list. already ordered. Um, there's one called Micro Tom. Um, the uh, Johnny's, ha- no, actually Johnny's doesn't have any. I'm trying to remember. Park Seed has four, three or four of them yeah, Park Seed. that you can order. But if you look them up online, but give me a week or two and I will compile a list and we'll talk about it. Okay. Well, thank you, uh, Ton. Thanks for being with us, even though you were a teeny bit under the weather from the Utah County Bureau today. Yeah, it's not a problem. I just didn't want to get people sick. Okay. And Sheridan, thanks so much for always sharing uh, your wit and wisdom. And it's just fun to talk to you and just get a little bit different perspective on the fun things that are happening at the Edible Demonstration Garden. Thanks so much for having me. I had a blast today. We better tell people again how they can get to that Edible Demonstration Garden. So 80 East 725 South in Kaysville is the address for the USU Botanical Center. Come on up. Um, obviously, there's nothing in the or in the Edible Garden right now, but in the spring, um, we'll plant mid-May and you can come up and you can browse and enjoy and taste and have the full experience. And check out the video on the KSL Greenhouse Facebook page as well. And thanks for joining us this morning. Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. She was tear gassed and beaten. Images of thousands desperate to escape Taliban oppression filled our news feeds. More than 80,000 Afghans made it to America. 
But the story didn't end there. It was very cold. There was no power, no heat. Who would help our newest neighbors? I'm Andrea Smartin. In Stranger Becomes Neighbor, you'll hear the stories of some remarkable refugees who left their homes and their dreams behind only to start over from zero. Their only possession was three blankets. And you'll meet Americans who stepped up to help them. You want me to come when you deliver your baby. What can one person do in the face of an international disaster decades in the making? That's Stranger Becomes Neighbor. Find us at kslpodcast.com, follow us on Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen.